Um, we are going through a new series, uh, and this is the second week of that. It's called Designed Then Deceived, and you'll see, if you open your, uh, your bulletin up, you'll see the sermon notes in there, and uh, the kind of the guidance of the way we're going to head as we talk about different topics. Um, and so one of the things we understand is that there's, uh, this might bring up a lot of just emotional or intellectual questioning, uh, and we are pro-questioning, and we are uh, absolutely desiring more conversations to be had. So uh, understand that, that, that our heart is to, to have conversations. And so uh, at the end of this service today, last week uh, at the end of our service, we, we invited you to come into the fellowship hall and uh, get some, have some questions and Q&A time with uh, our, some of our elders. Uh, well, this week, our fellowship hall is all set up for a potluck. So uh, following this service, uh, as soon as we're done with our worship time, we encourage you to head on out and head into the fellowship hall and find a table uh, be seated there, and once we are, uh, everyone's kind of seated, we'll start, um, we'll pray and announce uh, tables to be released uh, in no particular order uh, to go get food and have a good time of fellowship. We'll hear more from Nick and Nika in there as well. But if you, if you are, if God's stirring something up or uh, as something is preached or read that you're like, I don't know, I need to, I need to ask about this or I really, I really want more clarification, please stick around in the sanctuary. Our elders today will be in the sanctuary, kind of up front, uh, desiring those conversations, and, uh, and we know I know for sure as I've prepared and gone through these uh, topics that this is not all that can be said or should be said on these topics. There's, there's tons, but we just don't have the time. We ran out of that last week, right? I'm hoping not to do that to you again this week. Um, we are, last week we did talk about our first, our first topic was uh, biblical gender, and we were in Genesis 1. Today we're going to be looking at biblical sexuality, and then we're going to be in Genesis 2. If you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis 2, I would appreciate that. We, uh, last week, we looked at and uh, looked at God's design for gender, that it was in the beginning God created them male and female. There are two genders. They are male and female. Um, and we looked at God's design regarding that. And so I, I encourage you to, to go back and, and look or listen to that sermon if you missed it. Um, use it as a resource for you later on. Maybe it brings up questions you want to ask later. You can certainly do that. Uh, but, but each sermon you'll see in your sermon notes, we're going to be going through uh, the God's design regarding the topic. Uh, and we're going to look at biblical Today, biblical sexuality. Uh, we're going to look at design. We're going to look at the deception. How are we deceived? And then the depravity that that leads into. And then finally, the deliverance that's offered through faith in Jesus Christ. So that will be the same pattern, uh, all four of these sermons. And it will then be an ongoing series that we pick up again later on. When I was a junior high and high school youth pastor, the, uh, the joke was that I could say two words. And two words every time were guaranteed to get a junior high or a high schooler's attention. One of those words was chocolate. Everyone will be like, what? Where? When? The other one was sex. We'd say sex, and everyone would perk up, and they'd be embarrassed. They're like, ooh, what, Brandon, what did Brandon say? And so it's one of those topics that's it's interesting that in Christendom, in, in our faith, we've, we've kind of like tried to hide and kind of push aside, and like, we don't want to talk about that, it's improper, and, we, and, and here's, here's the truth. I mean, yes, there's a place and a time to talk about that. I certainly believe that in a church, it is the time. In a family, it is the time. Uh, in Bible studies, in discipleship, it is the time, because you and I are being taught something about sexuality all the time. And, and I've said this, and I've ranted and raved about this from the pulpit many times, that, that you just turn on your TV, or you open a magazine, any, any commercial has some sort of sex appeal always on it, right? Uh, we're always being fed something to be taught something regarding human sexuality. And then the church is like, well, let's just be, let's just be quiet about it. We don't want to talk about it. It's embarrassing, right? It's embarrassing because we have so much information coming at us, and we, maybe some of us are buying into those lies that are out there regarding sexuality. And then we're embarrassed about the way we're living. And so today, what I'd like to really let us do is, is look at God's design as it pertains to human sexuality. And what's interesting is, you know, we talk about, last week was gender, so oh, it's this big transgender sermon. No, it's, it's about human gender that God created, and certainly that topic fits into it. Well, today's about sexuality. Oh, is he going to talk about homosexuality, and be, he's going to rant and rave about that. I'm not, listen, I said last week, this is not here, I'm not here to be political. I'm not here to say, hey, here's what the culture and the politics say on this side, so we're going to go against every one of those things by, in this way. Sexuality is a way more broad topic than homosexuality, right? And, and I, would, I would argue this as we talk about this. I really want you to understand, like if you have that stance, man, yeah, no, we shouldn't have, that's a sin. We shouldn't, that shouldn't be doing that. Great, but 
I need you to look at your own life. I need you to look at your own heart. I need you to look at your own relationships and, and, and what you believe about sexuality and, and how you practice that in your daily life. Because I believe, from experience, by the way, that the lies of the world are so strong in regards to human sexuality that they invade us without us even knowing. And as they do, they produce a fruit in us that is detrimental to even heterosexual marriage relationship sexual activity. That some of you here who have, have only had sexual relationship within the confines and union of covenant marriage are sad and broken and hurt. Because frankly, you don't believe what is right about God and how he designed it. And you're, you're not approaching sexuality the way God wants you to approach that. So I, I love the fact that we have teenagers here today and teenagers are going to be so much fun and you know the truth when I say sex. You're like, what? What's he going to say? Parents, for those parents of teenagers here today, there should be follow-up conversation regarding this. There should be follow-up, right? And, and, and I want not only in your home, but if you need that with someone in our church family to do that. Uh, there's going to be homework. I'm going to give you homework today, folks. I know that's kind of weird. We're talking about sex and I give you homework. And you just wait. Don't blush all at once. It's okay. But it, but it really is to analyze your own heart and your perception of what you believe is true about sexuality and, and maybe the lies you believed regarding it, okay? Uh, it, it is so true that the church needs to be sure of many things. And sometimes I think we're wishy-washy, so part of that is to be sure of things. Uh, and then to continually contend for the gospel, for the faith that's been set before us. And in order to contend for that, we need to live it. We need to read it. We need to hide it in our hearts. We need to know it. And we need to share it. Our world, uh, in our world, truth is, is quickly becoming distorted by lies of the enemy. It is all around us. And I think it's, we, we way too quickly, without even knowing it, buy into those lies. Think, oh yeah, that, that's okay. This is, this is right when it's not. We need to see that the enemy sneaks in. We need to see where the enemy deceives us. We need to be careful. We need to be merciful. And we need to ultimately hang on to God's truth and God's design. Amen? Let's pray and we'll get started with this. Father, thank you so much for your great love. God, it is, it is a joy to be able to come together, not just because we're trying to do church or God, to, to earn bonus points with our spouse because they wanted us to go today. God, God, we come to serve a mighty God and to worship a mighty God and to offer him praise that only he deserves because he is mighty to save. We look at your love and your grace and your pursuit of us, your relentless pursuit of us, and God, we need to respond to that. We need to see you as the gracious, loving God who has come to rescue us. And God, as we see you as that, God, may we set aside everything else, every other priority in our life, every other preference or, or belief we had or something we're hanging on to, God, anything we thought was gain, we'd count it as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are whom we treasure. In you, we are satisfied and complete. Help us realize that today. We pray in Christ's name. All right, so as we look at human sexuality, number one is God's design. We're in Genesis chapter 2, if you look at verses 22 through 24. Now, we hit on some of this last week, but we'll do it again. Beginning in verse 22, it says, The Lord God uh, made the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man, and the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and, and she will, was... Uh, she will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Now this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Now a lot going on right here, and some elements of God's design that are seen right away. Number, number one, the first part of God's design that we see here is that marriage is between one man and one woman. Okay, so we saw gender was between one man and one woman. Marriage is also intended to be uh, between man, one man and one woman. And thus sexuality is between one man and one woman in marriage. Why else? And it says, look at verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father. And there's got to be a leaving, by the way, gentlemen. Right? When we talk about this, 
this notion of, of embracing a family, embracing a spouse, and, and loving well, we've got to, we've, there's got to be a leaving. And I, it's just, I say it on a side note, a tangent a little bit. But this is why. What, this is why what? Because God created the man and woman to be together. This is why a, a man will leave his father and mother and bond with his who? His wife. You know, a lot of people would say that, oh, Brandon, marriage isn't that supreme, and, and marriage isn't that important, Se- sexuality is great, but you don't have to be married, right? Because Adam wasn't married, it was just God in the, in, the, in the garden, and he gave Adam a woman and said, go do your thing. That's not quite what he said, is it? And I want you to look at the imagery here. If you look at uh, verse 22, the Lord God made the rib, and he, uh, he had taken from the man into a woman. The Lord God, what did he do next? And then what? He, what's it say? Brought her to him. Man, it seems it's like we, model, we see that modeled somewhere. We have, I don't know, there's a bunch of chairs, and there's like a center aisle, and at the back of the church, there's a man with a woman, and the woman's all dressed up fancy, and then all of a sudden, this man walks her down the center aisle and brings her to another man. What, what are we seeing here at Creation. The first what? The first wedding. God the Father bringing Eve, the bride, down the aisle to the man and says, here you go. And and Adam's like, at last, at last, someone that is a complimenting pair to me. And and it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? Because we say, well, you don't see marriage in there. You're just making up imagery. Okay, maybe I am. But what does verse 24 say? All what we just saw, the imagery, points us to what? A man leaving his father and mother and bonding with his who? Wife, right there. Can't have a wife unless you're married. Marriage, right? One man, one woman in marriage. And then it says at the end of verse 24, and, and they become what? One flesh. That two distinct personal beings with different habits and different emotions and different thoughts about things and, and maybe some, a lot of similar thoughts about things created equally in the image of God are brought together as complementing pairs and those two things become one flesh. Human sexuality, by the way, as we talk through this, uh, in, in culture is really just kind of restricted mostly to the physical. Like this is just physical, it's all it is, no big deal. That is not the case. Two becoming one flesh was not just a sexual act of intercourse. It is a bonding of two people, a pairing of two people. I, I, listen, I can, there's tons of conversations I've had, tons of conversations I've had with beings, human beings who have gone into, into sexual activity thinking, it's just physical. It's no big deal. It, why? It doesn't really do anything. And they come out of that and they're like, oh my gosh, I, I, feel, so, I feel so connected. I feel so like ashamed. I We shouldn't have ever been together, but I miss them so much. I'm hurting so much. Why? Because sexuality was created by God for one man and one woman to 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 be together in the within the covenant of marriage and for a bond to be created like no other bond that could be created. And what we do in human sexuality, we take that and say, "I'm it's okay. Well, I'm in a bond. It's just physical." And then you go and and you feel that you feel that depth, and you're like, "I don't like that. I felt that way." So you go find another partner and you go again and like, oh, well, and eventually what happens? As you share yourself physically, spiritually, emotionally through sexual intercourse with, with multiple partners, what happens to your soul? It becomes numb. And, and, and you long for oneness that you, that you once had because you, you knew there was a connection there, but but now that's, you've numbed that connection because you spread it out to everyone. You're still longing for oneness and you think the only way is that eventually I'll find the right partner and I'll finally feel one again with them. All the while you've damaged yourself sexually with so many different partners. And it might not be so many. It might be one or two or three. I'm not saying you're, you're slept with everybody. But the damage has been done. There is a bond and a oneness that is created and you're like, well, that's not true, Brandon. Why wouldn't it be true? First of all, Scripture says it, but why wouldn't a God who, who loves us design it that way? That when, when you experience true, real sexual intimacy with your spouse within the covenant of marriage, 
it is going, God, here's God's design, it is going to blow your mind at the oneness and unity and intimacy and passion you can share with another human being. The church needs to stop talking about sex like it's some taboo thing. We've created a, a sex-shaming culture, by the way. Kids get married, and they save themselves from marriage, and they're like, I can't have sex with my partner. I can't have sex. Sex is bad. All the while, we're, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. That's what you hear from pulpits. That's what you hear in Bible studies. That's what you hear in youth groups. So don't have sex. Sex is bad. I guarantee you, when someone goes and experiments and has sex, they're not going to say it was bad. And you will be a liar. So I'm not here to tell you sex is bad. I'm here to tell you sex is amazing. And guess who created sex? God created sex. That's pretty cool, huh? Thank you, God. He also created chocolate. Double win. Sex is amazing. God created sex. Guess who counterfeited it? Satan did. So if you'd like to deny sex in God's design, that, that's fine. That's our prerogative to do that. But what you're going to embrace is a counterfeit from Satan. You're welcome. Have fun trying to find fulfillment, real satisfaction, real intimacy, real oneness in that. It doesn't work. One man, one woman in marriage for oneness, and it's forever. Matthew 19, Jesus says, haven't you heard or read that he who created, that's God, them in the beginning made them male and female, and he also said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This is Jesus' words on the thing. Okay, in case you didn't quite get the creation narrative, Jesus is backing that up. It's all inspired by God, right? It's all red letter. Let no one separate. People come to me and say, Brandon, we're getting married. You think we should put our bank accounts together? Yes. I, I think that oneness does not only mean sexual intimacy and oh, now we're one flesh. I think that you, it, when you come together with a spouse, you should make it as absolutely painful and difficult and impossible as you possibly can to separate that union. Absolutely impossible. Become one flesh. It takes love, it takes patience, it takes humility, but it, it is so rewarding when we do. So there's a permanence in the oneness of marriage, and it's not meant to be ripped apart. When a marriage is, is consummated through sexual oneness, there is a spiritual bonding, a, an emotional bonding, a physical bonding, a union that takes place. And it is intended to also bring you great joy and pleasure and special comfort and deep unity with another person. It is not a merely physical act. The purity of this union is to be kept undefiled. The purity of this union is to be kept protected. It is so unique and so special. And, and I want, listen, young people, old people, whoever you are, single people, all you single ladies, I, I, I want you to understand something. If, if you are moving towards a, a member of the opposite sex sexually, with some kind of sexual desire, if you are feeling like it is not going to promote union and safety and protection and oneness and, and wholeness, and that it's not going to honor God, then it is of the counterfeit design from Satan. And I would, I would say this, that most of what we see in the world is that. And we can have lots of conversations about that later if you'd like. It needs to be pure. We see that God's design for, for sexual intimacy is to be one man, one woman in marriage for oneness, forever, for pleasure, for great joy. There's also impurity. Marriage is to be honored, Hebrews 13. Marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled. God does not say sex is bad. He says the marriage bed is where it's at. And we need to believe that. And we need to live like that because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers, it says. Going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes this. He says, if, if they do not have self-control, speaking of the unmarried, if they don't have self-control or if they burn with passion, they should marry, since it's better to marry than to burn with desire. A couple things I want you to see here. 
Uh, Paul is like saying, it's not saying marriage is bad. There's, there's some theology about this, a whole other topic of conversation of why he's maybe promoting singleness here. But it's not good for man to be alone. And when that desire comes, it's okay. God, God has put a desire for us to have a mate. That's, that's what he's put in us, that, that we should desire and long for that and want that. And, and it's a natural desire, and, and, and it should be met and will be met in marriage. So he says, hey, if that desire is coming up, if that's too strong, go get married. You can have some self-control and back off a little bit and go run every day. Great. But if not, get married. Uh, Song of Solomon also says, don't, don't awaken love before it desires. I think that's what's happening all around us. Teenagers, I want you to hear me on this. Uh, we, here's the question that's asked. Well, how far is too far? Fine, I won't have sex with somebody. How far is too far? First of all, probably everything you're seeing already on TV and in advertisements is too far. Because it is meant to awaken a desire for you to pay attention to the screen. Right? So anything that is awakening your desire to draw your attention towards sexual intimacy is awakening sexual intimacy before it desires, before it's ready and ripe, and it should be. Uh, we see that in pornography all across the board. And pornography is the number one profiting business in the world, bar none. It, it makes more money per year than every major league sport in the world combined. And we know oh, it's bad. Porn's bad. I, I guarantee you, over half of you have probably viewed it last week by the numbers we see in America. It is an epidemic. Now, whether that was willful or whether it was a moment of weakness, it is everywhere, and we are not doing what we should do to guard our hearts. Because as we lean into a pornographic world, as we learn, lean into what movies and television say about sexual intimacy, we are developing a worldview about it, and we are going to carry that in to this, what is supposed to be beautiful, amazing, complete, full union between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage for oneness. How dare we bring that baggage in? And that's what I said at the beginning. I, I bet some of us have carried that baggage in, and you're experiencing that. You're like, I, I did it right. I have baggage, but I repented of that, and I, I'm only my spouse's. But you're still bringing that design in. It's a selfish design, by the way, not a selfless design. Turn with me here to 1 Corinthians, if you would, please. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Going back to igniting a passion before it so desires. There's not only is it like what I view, but, but it's like how far can I go? Can we hold hands? Can we kiss? To which I often tell teenagers, I say, listen, let's just say that your spouse is out there somewhere. Right? They are. Right? And, and, and you're going to have that person be your spouse. And they're with, a, they're with a boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Depending on who you are, right? They're with a boyfriend or girlfriend right now. And here's my question. How far physically do you want them to go right now? You understand what I'm saying? Like, we, we ask the question, how far can I go? Because it's selfish in me. I, I really want this love and attention and, and for, for me. Well, how far do you want your spouse to go? Maybe that should be your standard. But I would just tell you what Scripture says. Don't do any touching, kissing, feeling, right? That's going to awaken your desires before they should be awakened. I, 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 maybe this is too soon, I don't know. I, I talk to some teenagers oftentimes like, well, can I, can I kiss? I'm like, you know, I, that's really, really, there's a line here, right? I know where these lines go. I said, maybe if you can kiss without your hands and without your tongue, maybe, maybe, just maybe you'll be safe. But anything more than that is to awaken desire too soon. And to lead us into not only temptation, but to sexual sin that doesn't really lead to fulfillment and fullness. Do we understand that? We get that? Uh, going further, here's really the crux of this. In 1 Corinthians uh, 6, or in verse 15, uh, Paul is talking about sex in this chapter, and in, in chapter 7 too. Go read that and do some homework. It's, it's great. Uh, but, but as we look at this, I, I want us to see what God is modeling, and that, that is to be what we then live by and with in our sexual activity. Uh, here's what it says in verse 15. Uh, don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? So that's assuming that you are a believer in Christ. It's assuming that you have come to faith in Christ and you've repented of your sin and he's your everything. I'm with Jesus. That, that you now, uh, your bodies are part of Christ's body. So the question is, so should I take a part of Christ's body and make it 
a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not, he says. Do you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? This, by the way, this is not just say, oh, it's, well, I'm, it's not a prostitute. You're, you're making an excuse now, right? Oh, I'm not with a prostitute. It is, it is anything outside of one man, one woman in the confines of covenant of marriage for oneness. Right? Any, and really, that, we could go through a litany of list of sexual sin. Sexual activity is only to be between one man, one woman within heterosexual uh, marriage, in covenant marriage, monogamous marriage, till death do you part. That's where sex is to be. So what's a sin? Anything that's not that. Does that cover everything that we need to cover? We can go home now, right? So do you not know that anyone joined with a prostitute is one in body? Like, like when you are sinful sexually, you're becoming one with somebody. The scripture says the two will be one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one with him in spirit. So that, see, listen, there is a pursuit. This has to start with God. Remember last, last week, what did we say? In the beginning, God created. This is God's design. And Paul would say in Ephesians, be imitators of God in verse 1 of chapter 5. Be imitators of God. Well, what is God's model? That he, even while you were a sinner, saw you, loved you, and pursued you. In fact, he died on the cross for your sins. The death you deserved, the death I deserved, he died for. And he pursued you saying, listen, be reconciled to me through my death. Be reconciled to me through my resurrection. I have given myself to you so you and I could have a union together and be one. What an amazing gift God has given us, amen? That we can be in Christ and be part of his body. Not just a far, a far off, like, oh yeah, I go to church, I'm part of the body. No, that you and Christ share a union. And he knows that your desire is, not, is, is fulfilled in him, but you also desire, because it's not good for man to be alone, a union sexually with the opposite sex. And it's to be modeled in the same way Christ modeled it towards us. First in design, one man, one woman within marriage. Second, an emotion and spiritual pursuit. That, that when he came, he did so selflessly. To give himself fully to somebody else, just to you and to me. This is, Paul says, flee then sexual morality. Every sin a person commits is outside his body, but the one who's sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price to so glorify God with your body. There's a cost, a high cost involved in, in us becoming one with Jesus. And now that we have, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and his design and his truth should be what's evident within us. As we are part of Christ's body, all sexual sin that would defile must be forsaken. Only what is pure and within marriage between one man and one woman is an acceptable union. Now see, listen, sex is not about enhancing one's power and control over somebody, but it's about mutually giving up power to one another in love, as Christ did for us. I often ask couples, and I, yeah, you're like, wait, you talk about this with couples? Yes, because it's biblical. And, and, and if you're, you're struggling in your sexual relationship and your intimacy with your spouse, it's probably a selfishness thing. Not, not maybe because you're struggling. It's probably because your spouse is struggling with selfishness. And, and I, I, tell, I tell partners, I say, listen, like, how would your spouse feel that you are actually caring for their soul and their heart and their emotions and their body when you engage in sexual activity with them? Because that's how it should be. That when we, when we as married men and women in the covenant of marriage engage in sexual intimacy with our spouse, it is not first so that you get to be happy and satisfied. We learn that everywhere. And so when we learn that, that's, what we, that's how we treat people. And we take, and we take, and we take, and we break, and we break, and we break. But God's model is, I came to give and to serve, not be served. How are you doing at being a gift to your spouse? There is a, a vulnerable, authentic, selfless love that we find and have in Christ. And through faith in Christ, we are united with him. And we are his bride and he wears his body. And we are to model that within our marriages sexually as well.
That's design. Number two, sexually, let's look at this, this uh, deception. Turn to Romans chapter 1 with me, please. Ch- Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> I think one of the things that, that I, my, my desire is to avoid as you turn there, um, and I said this last week, and I, I'll say it again, like we're talking about design, we're talking about how good God is, and look at how amazing he is, because I, I don't want us to come out of here thinking, I'm really a great moral person. I've kept all the commandments and look at me go. I'm amazing and I know all the moral truths that I need to know. Uh, that, that's great. But it means nothing if you don't know Jesus. And you haven't found Jesus and been totally, completely satisfied in Jesus. It means nothing that you have a great moralistic view and even a biblical view of human sexuality and what's right and wrong. I, I, could, I, I really don't want you to go out there and go tell people, here's my list, I found it, you're wrong. I want you to go out there and say, I found who's right, and he's the best, and I want you to know him too. Amen? Okay, Romans chapter two, uh, Romans chapter one, verse 18. Here's the deception. God's wrath is revealed. God gets, God gets angry when we go against his design. When we step outside of what is true and right and whole. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And and what are they suppressing? Well, it goes on in in the next verse, 19. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood from what has been made. As a result, people are out without excuse. Here's what this means. God has laid his design out clearly for people to see. And in their unrighteousness, their, and what that is, is people's unrighteousness is their, their, their desire to be righteous on their own. They suppress the truth. So here's the lie. The, the lie comes because we suppress the truth. Verse 21, though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. See, there's a, there's a real deep part here of us that must go forward. It's not just that moralistic, I, I've got it down. But when we leave, we're like, man, I want to show gratitude. I'm, I am thankful to God for his design regarding sexuality. And I'm going to praise him for that. And I'm going I'm to understand the model he's given me. And I'm going to live that model within my life, whether it be within my marriage or if I'm not married in my life, now preparing for a spouse one day. Did not show gratitude. Instead, their thinking, here's what happens, or this, this deception, their thinking becomes worthless. And their senseless hearts are darkened, right? They harden their hearts. Their, their, their reasoning goes cuckoo. Like they're, we talked about this last week and we said don't judge don't try, because they don't know their right hand from their left. I mean, have you ever, you've listened to someone and like they're talking and, and they're, they're reasoning this out and you're like, Did anyone else hear what they're saying? Do they, do they hear what they're saying? How, how do they believe what they're saying? Their senseless hearts were darkened. They suppressed the truth of God. Their thinking became worthless. And it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and four-footed animals and reptiles. You talk about the images of sexual creatures or sexual phallic symbols all throughout history that have been worshipped. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. The crea- they exchanged the crea- creator for the creation. So I'm going to worship the creation instead. It causes all kinds of problems. It says, therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, so their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served what's been created instead of the creator, who is praised forever. Amen. Listen, when we buy a lie, and their lies are always out there, God is designed, Satan is deceiving. God creates, Satan counterfeits. When we buy the lie, we are, in essence, exchanging the truth of God for a lie, and we are starting to worship what is created rather than the creator. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Put your hope in him. Know his word. Know his truth. Be settled and secure in it, and you will thrive because he has created you to do that. Today's culture has has severed the link between the creator and his creation, sexuality. God created sex. Satan counterfeit 
Satan has deceived and twisted it, and, and now all of culture, what they're doing is they're separating the link between the creator and his creation. Sexuality is now t- attached to the social order. What is good in society and what's good for me, it's a postmodern thing. It's the postmodern feelings and, and the chase for identity outside of Christ now define what is acceptable in regards to sex. Everywhere we look, sex is being detached from God's design of lifelong covenant reflecting his union with us. And it's becoming about self-fulfillment instead of self-giving through humility and union with a spouse. Paul writes about it to Timothy. He says, he says, in later times, some will depart from the faith or the trust in God's design, paying attention to deceitful spirits. This is kind of freaky, by the way. Right? What are deceitful spirits? The word is demons. Okay? So in latter days, some will pay attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Through the hypocrisy of liars who, who, uh, whose consciences are seared, they forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. Is that happening in our society? All the time. Marriage isn't important. You can have sex with whoever or whatever you want. It's all about you. You, you, you should feel good. You do you. It's all about feelings. That's who you are. Don't do any of this other stuff. What are those teachings? They're teachings of demons. I, and, and I have bought into those lies. And you have bought into those lies. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that. He, he, he exhorts Timothy. He says, to have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. These are pointless and silly myths to follow. Instead, train yourself in godliness. So what, what, are, what are today's deceptions and pointless myths? I, I wrote a few down of how these lies are, are shown and seen. One is this. It, uh, you know, hey, this is what people, the culture would say. Biblical sexuality, that's, that's just oppressive. Man, that's, that's a way to control people, specifically women and daughters, as property. It's like you're just using them. And think about that back in the day. Like I, I'm going to use my women and my, my, my children as barter material, right? That, that is wrong. But that's not God's design for human sexuality. But today, people say, oh, biblical sexuality is, is oppressive. They, they, just, they just don't want you to be free and to express yourself. Next thing we see in society as, as, a, as a lie, they say that biblical sexuality will hinder my felt need for authentic self-expression. Don't, don't, put, don't put me down, man. Let me be free, right? God wants me to be free to express who I really am. Because, you know, one's identity is most certainly connected to my deepest feelings. No, it's not. If, if your identity was connected to your feelings, who would you be? That, that would be one blob of a mess, right? If we want to connect our deepest identity to feelings, we are going to end in pretty bad failure. That's what they say. Their feelings lead the way, and sex outside of covenant heterosexual marriage is rampant. The next thing I wrote down, the last thing here about um, the lie, or one of the lies, that is that biblical sexuality is, is a move backwards. Hey, we've, made, we've made so much prox, uh, progress in the sexual revolution. We are, we are so far ahead. We have gone so far in, in, that we don't want to go back. We don't want, don't stop us from making progress, right? That just enslaves us to your hateful standards, and, and we've made a lot of ground here. What they're saying is, We've gone too far. I don't think we can go back. I have too much pride and too much shame and too much guilt to go back to God's design. They'd say it's ridiculous to say that all I've experienced, that all the progress we've made is bad. After all, it feels so right. It feels so right. That's why sexual activity is morphing, right? No one's actually found the design that's right. They keep feeling some emptiness and some brokenness and some, some lack of unity and oneness, and they feel so numb that they have to create another way to have sexual activity be defiled. But that's just called progress. You know what the Bible calls that? Folly and sin. God designed sex, and he made it amazing. Amazing. So here's the homework part of the sermon. Holy cow, we're getting out of time. For you marrieds, 
I want you to ask this question, and I, and I, I get it, it's vulnerable and difficult, and it may, it may lead with tons of tears, and it may in the middle be tons of tears, and it may end with tons of tears. I don't care. Your spouse is that important. I want you to sit down with your spouse for an honest conversation. And I want you to get over your selfishness and your ego and how you maybe may have been approaching sex before. And I want you to ask this question. Am I or have I been the selfless gift to you that God has intended me to be? Not just as around the house. We're talking about in sex. And I want you to really want their answer. And to really, if you're the partner being asked that, to really be vulnerable and share the truth. I, I, want, I want you, I want me to know this in a deep, deep way. And I bring this question up because it's a question that my spouse and I have asked several times. Because our sexual intimacy leads to oneness and reflects the glory of God and the model of love and servitude and giving of himself to the bride. And if, if we aren't doing that right, then we aren't modeling Christ right. So it's so important to do that, to give yourself as a gift. And you're like, well, I, to give myself, that's just making myself a slave. It's a servant, not a slave. It's, it's what Jesus did for you, by the way. And this is a willful laying down of your life, laying down of your, your own attitude or pleasure and saying, I, I want to treat you the way God has treated us in our salvation. So married, that's one there. Singles. I want you to ask this question of yourself or maybe your closest friend that knows you, the one that you tell everything to, right? This is all you teenagers as well. I want you to ask this question of yourself and to a person that would really know you well, that knows the, the deep, deeper secrets. It's probably not your parent. I get it. Here's the question. Am I preparing myself to be a gift to my one-day future spouse? And, and that preparation is... How are you viewing sex? And how are you treating sex? Because that's how you're treating your future spouse. For both, what lies am I believing? I want to go on quickly through the last two. Depravity. What, what is the depravity of this? It's, it's like the culmination and what we see happening all around. Uh, Romans 10 Here's what it looks like. I'm going to probably skip some of that. Okay, Romans 10 says this. Brothers and sisters, my, my heart's desire and prayer concerning them is for their salvation. So Paul says, I, I want them to know and see Jesus and find him as the most satisfying, right? I could testify about them. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So there are, as a group of people who, who elevates their knowledge and when they're, maybe they're, oh, I still believe in God, I love God, but their knowledge is way more important to them. And it's probably a false knowledge, right? He says, they've elevated this knowledge. It says, since they have, they have a zeal, but not according to knowledge, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and they've attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What does that mean? Here, here, you write this in your notes, one-liner. When we elevate our own righteousness, our own truth, our own ideas, our own preferences, when we elevate our own righteousness, we lessen or lower the righteousness of God in our lives. When we view ourselves as big and know-it-alls, we say God doesn't have the clue. I don't want to be that. Do you? But that's what Paul says we're doing. It's a righteousness thing. And so what did God do? Because they elevated themselves and said, ah, my truth is right and your oppressiveness is wrong. My design is right, and what God created obviously is wrong. What did God do? Romans 1, for this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. What does depravity look like? This right here. He delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way were left, uh, they left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because... They did not consider it worthwhile to acknowledge God. You see, that's the problem. I said last week, in the beginning, God. This week, be imitators of God. 
please church, consider it worthwhile to acknowledge God. Because they did not consider it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so they do not do what is right. God, here's what God's saying. When you start to elevate your own righteousness and say, my truth is better than yours, he's like, I'm not going to be sitting around here along for this ride. God is not going along for your ride. He is the creator of the universe. You are not. And he is not going to be drug along with that. He's not going to come, come when you make him small and you make yourself big. You do you, he says. He, he, God's saying, you do you, and I'll, I'll be over here when you are ready to be small again. And by the way, when you're ready to be small again, I've got something that will blow your mind. It's called my design of gender and marriage. It's going to be amazing. You should try it out. They, it goes on to they, who, these people that are more righteous than they ought to be. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels. And listen, see, it's not just talking about homosexuality here. It's not just talking about sexual sin. This, this is across the board sin. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters. They're arrogant, proud, boastful. They're inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they applaud others who practice them. My righteousness is better, it's better, it's best. And, we, and I want to get a group around me that says the same thing. And we make God so, so small. By the way, God's not small. God is still judge and Lord over all, even though you want him to be small. He will still have the last word. So again, who is the they? It's the one who elevates their own righteousness and lowers God's. See, when self-righteousness rules me, then anything is up for grabs. Anything. So finally, number four, the deliverance. What is the deliverance? What does that look like? Well, Jesus was, was talking to Pontius Pilate and, and he was arrested right, for blasphemy, saying he was God and he was a savior and they had a, he could forgive sin. And Pontius is, is talking to him, Pilate's talking to him and he, he talks about his kingdom and, and he says, so Pilate's like, well, are you a king then? Jesus says, I, I, you say that I'm a king, but Jesus re replied, here's his reply. I was born for this and I have come into the world for this. Ooh, this is really good. This is like Jesus saying, here's why I'm here testify to the truth. To testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate, like many of us have done in the, in the past, his response, what is truth? What is truth? Jesus is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And apart from him, you cannot have life. You cannot have fulfillment. You will not ever have true oneness and unity within covenant marriage without Jesus Christ. If you're in 1 Corinthians 6 still, looking at uh, verse 9 through 11, a, a, a truth, this is a truth. God is truth. He's saying, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? If we elevate our own righteousness, we won't get there. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived, Right? The sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the, here's the promise from this verse. Paul goes on, and some of you used to be like this. What does that mean? There's hope. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. Guess what his name is? Jesus. But you, he says, here, here's where the hope was. You were washed. You were sanctified or pulled out. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Why? Because the gift of God that is eternal life is available to all who would believe. God loves you. God is pursuing you. And, and, and whatever sexually deviant way you've gone off and, and run, run away, God is saying, come back to me. Find me, and, and I, will, I will be the most satisfying thing that will ever be in your life. Jesus says this in Mark. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. If you want to save your life, if you want to check the boxes off, if you want to be good, if you want to develop your own righteousness, you are going to lose it. But the one who, what, loses his life because of me will save it. What does it profit or benefit someone to gain the whole world and lose his soul? God's like, I'm the one that can save your soul. I'm the one who can take care of you. I'm the one who can help you make sense of what righteousness really looks like. Run 
to me. Paul said it. I, I love how Paul said it. Paul was the, the apostle that had it all together, had done everything perfectly, was, had total moral truth checked off the box. He had a righteousness that was so high, God was so small. God, it took God wrestling him and punching him, punching his lights out there on, on the road to Damascus to get his attention, to humble him. What do you say? Here's what Paul said. I, again, I don't want to leave you with this moralistic, like, here's what you need to do. This is wrong. This is bad. I want you to see Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you should see everything else in the rear view mirror. Paul said this, everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is not, I'm not asking you to, make, to, to answer the question, is, is sex, like, that, that, is not having sex more valuable to you than having sex before marriage? Is, 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 is not practicing homosexual behavior more important to you than, than, than practicing righteous behavior? What, what is, I'm not asking you about to make that important. What, I'm, what Jesus is asking is this. He says, am I that important? Am I that valuable? Do you look at me and say, I don't care about anything else. All I want is you. That's what we run after. It's Christ. We grab onto his righteousness and not our own Paul says in Ephesians, they became callous. They gave themselves over to promiscuity and the practice of every, every impurity with desire for more and more. We see that in our culture. But that's not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you have heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, what is it? It's to take off your former way of life, the old self that's corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness. Going back where? In the beginning, God, in righteousness, in purity, and in truth. He, listen, He will never disappoint. He can always be trusted. Amen? All right, let's stand together and pray. Our worship team is going to come back up, and we're going to respond in song, and then we're going to go and enjoy lunch together, break some bread together, and, and listen to a more about our missionaries. Again, I encourage you after the singing time, if you'd like to, to hang out, if you have some questions you need to ask, stay here. We'll, so our elders, some of our, some of our elders will be up front here to talk. Uh, if you're not going to hang out and talk up here, if you would just kind of make your way back into the fellowship hall and find a table, I'd appreciate that. Let's pray together. Father, may this be a time where, God, we, again, don't, uh, don't get irritated with right and wrong and what's bad and what's, what's not, God. And this isn't a worldly, uh, political agenda, God. This is you and your word. God, our desire is to see you for who you are. And God, you have revealed your design to us. And God, your design is beautiful. It is amazing. It is everything we could ever hope for or ever desire or ever need. God, help us to, to take what we have thought about sexuality, the lies we have believed perhaps about it, God, to set those aside and let you redefine it for us, God, in, in all truth and wisdom. And God, that we would practice that because, God, it models the union you have given us through our faith in you. We love you, Lord. We ask that you continue to lead us and guide us. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.